All right, well, good morning. Uh, my name's Austin. Um, I'm, uh, hello, <laughs> I'm one of, the, one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm so thankful to be here today and to have this opportunity to gather and to uh, worship God together. Um, <clears throat> I do apologize if my voice is a little hoarse or like low or if my voice cracks or something like that this morning. Uh, I was at the game, the Notre Dame game last night. It was a blast. All right, I probably yelled way too hard and, and shouted way too loud, but I had a great time. Um, yes, it's a bummer we lost, and that QB definitely fumbled, okay? It's absolutely a fumble. Um, but it was a blast. I had a great time. Morgan even, like, kind of leaned over at me. This is our date night, by the way. This is kind of like one of those, one of those things that you guys know you're supposed to be going, like, if you're married or, like, the marriage series, like, one of your challenges is to go have a date night. Do you guys know that? Oh, good. oh, that was like a resounding yes. All right, we're awake. We're awake this morning. I love it. So that was kind of our thing. So she kind of like elbowed me and like, hey, you, you, remember you're preaching tomorrow. And that didn't stop me. No, it was way too much fun. Um, all right, back on track. So is anyone familiar with uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Okay, cool. All right. Um, I wasn't either, so that's cool. Uh, it's definitely something that you should uh, write down and take time to, to, to pray over and, and read and, and think about. Some really, some really wise and, and smart people kind of put together like a list of a hundred questions and answers um, about the Christian faith, right? About like the Christian doctrine. doctrine. Um, and it begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? What are we here for? What is our purpose? What is this whole thing of life about? Like, it's a pretty big question. And that, that is question numero uno. Like, that's, the, that's it. That's the first one. And um, the answer, the answer that they came up with um, was, this was their response to that, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I won't spend too much time on this idea, um, uh, because actually we really spent a lot of time around this idea of glorifying God um, and bearing his image in the series that we did called Imago Dei. Uh, so check that out if you're, if you're, that was a few series ago, one or two, it was this summer. Um, and so if you're, if you want to dive back into that, I would, I would encourage you to do so, um, because that's, that's a little bit deeper of a look. But what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? And everything we do every day to glorify God. In other words, to bring glory to God is the thing or should be the thing behind everything that we do. And so what they were saying, to put, even more, to put it even more succinctly, is to live our lives in worship to God. Now, of course, when we hear the word worship, like we generally think of what we just did, right? With music and singing and praising. And we should, we should absolutely think of those things. But again, to worship God, to bring honor and, and glory to God is so much more than singing, worshiping, and those things, right? Um, because, because here's the deal. It's so much more. Worshiping embodies that should embody how we live our lives. How we, how we love how we work, how we play, how we have fun, how we are in relationship with one another, like that is worship. And listen to me really carefully, while worship is more than singing, it certainly is not less. 
and biblically worship and music and singing and even dancing. Oh my goodness, even dancing. Wow, are often, they're often put together. They often go hand in hand, worship and singing, worship and music. And maybe you've wondered, like, why do we spend time every Sunday singing? Like, what is the music and singing all about if it's not just like a buffer time? Like the time in between when you grab your coffee and the talk, right? What is it? Why do we do it? And so I don't know what you think. But what I do know is that singing is very important to how we live our lives, especially as followers of Jesus. But even more than that, I'm convinced it is one of the most important things we do. Singing. Some of you, <laughs> some of you might be real uncomfortable with where this is heading right now. Right? And I'm all right with that. I'm cool with that. All right? As long as you guys are cool with it. It's cool to be uncomfortable a little bit, all right? It's, it's the uncomfortable, it's the friction, right, that, get, that, that, that traction comes out of, okay, that, that we grow in and grow on. Okay, and so here's, here's the deal. With the development of the MRI, we're going to get a little brainy here. Uh, that was kind of a pun because we're literally going to talk about the brain. All right, anyway, you guys know I'm good for at least one of those. Okay, every service, at least I try to be. Okay, so with the development of the MRI um, and the fMRI, and very, very smart people, um, they've, been, they've uh, been able to learn more about the brain than ever before. And so, guys, some of the research that is, that is coming out of, of this, this just explosion of technology is absolutely fascinating. It is, it is brilliant and interesting. Like, it is, I, I'm, I'm sitting here just going, oh my goodness. Especially when it comes to the adolescent brain. Some of you have kind of heard my spiel on that. Well, there's more, okay? For example... All right, and some of you may have heard my, this, me say this before. Uh, but for example, um, we now know why the answer for when, you're, <laughs> when you approach a student or a child and you're like, why, the, why in the world did you just do that? How many of you ever asked your, your child that? Why, did you, why in the world did you do that? What were you doing? Why? Okay, and most oftentimes, what's the answer you get? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know, right? Now, listen, can you guys guess why that is? Here it is. Here's the answer. They really don't know. They really don't know. The prefrontal cortex, this part of your brain that is responsible for things like planning, right? Prioritizing. Okay, risk management, um, controlling impulses, okay, um, that has only just begun to develop in the adolescent years, just begun to develop, okay, so when your response to I don't know is you just weren't thinking, were ya? Well, you weren't using your head, you weren't thinking, well, you're really not that far off, <laughs> Because their capacity to think rationally, their prefrontal cortex really isn't developed enough to do so. And students, this is like not a bash on you if you're in the room. Like, okay, like the prefrontal cortex isn't like fully developed until you're 27. So, hey, mine's fully developed now, yay. I'm a little older than that, but anyway. That was like a day of celebration for me. Yes, I can now think rationally, which if you're, most of you know, like a lot of adults aren't, aren't very great rational thinkers. Because the, still, the truth is, it is something that, it's, the, the prefrontal cortex is like a muscle. It's something that you can grow in and learn to do better at, okay? So, parents... 
This should absolutely change the way we raise and communicate with our children, having this understanding. Because the prefrontal cortex, like I said, is a muscle and it must be trained, trained and it needs a good coach. So let us learn to be good trainers. Trainers that know when to push, when to lead by example, okay? Let us be good trainers. And this, this is, this is the, kind of off topic, but another part of the brain, this is, this is why I'm getting here, another part of the brain that we are beginning to understand and learn more about is the amygdala, okay, which has often been considered as like the fear-based part of the brain, right, which is not necessarily true. It's actually not true. Um, the amygdala is actually just the worry wart in your brain. Like, that's exactly what the amygdala is. The amygdala, like, if I'm standing up here, the amygdala is the thing going, like, I see these cords up here, and it's like, snakes! Those are snakes! You should be scared. You should be afraid. Those are snakes. You're going to, this is a ledge. It's really, you're standing really close to the ledge. You don't get, don't get a lot close. You're going to fall over. That's the amygdala, okay? And then you've got this other part of your brain that's the hippocampus that's saying, Austin, chill out, man. Chill. Those are cords. Okay, brother? What is helping the sound come out of your mouth right now and project to everyone else in the room? Okay, this ledge right here, dude, you're, you're far enough. You're good. You're good. You've walked on the stage times, times before. It's all right. Okay, you're chill. We're good. Okay? And so that's, that's how these, these two kind of work together and interact. When we experience trauma of any kind or depth, our hippocampus, it shrinks. It shrinks. And, and, and adversely, our amygdala, right, that, that, that worrywart, grows. When we experience trauma of any kind or depth. Okay? And so, in turn, it causes us to be more stressed, more anxious, more emotionally reactive kinds of people. Now imagine not having a prefrontal cortex on top of that, or a developed prefrontal cortex on top of that, right? Okay, so, um, but that, again, that's, that's not my point. Um, because here's what's fascinating. Here is what is fascinating about this, friends. When we sing, when we sing, our hippocampus and our amygdala, right, the portion of our brain in that area begins to dance. begins to dance. Your brain changes when you sing. And even more than that, your body changes. The chemicals released into your brain and body when you sing and dance actually reduce stress and they generate connection. And like the prefrontal cortex, like a muscle, this area of our brain, the more we sing, the more this network in our brain grows. Don't even get me started on like the additional brain benefits of like prayer and silence, what we just practiced in meditation. Now, what's even more interesting is that in every single research study that I was reading came from a secular doctor, a secular point of view. Okay, and one even reads, this is really interesting, it was in response to the many findings around worship and prayer, quote, religion is unlikely to go anywhere. The architecture of our brains won't allow it, says Dr. Newberg. That's the the study that all of these studies are coming out of, okay? And religion fulfills needs that our brains are designed to have, he continues. I would argue that until our brain undergoes a fundamental change, religion and spirituality will be with us for a long time. And I'm reading this. (laughs) I'm sitting here reading this and I'm like, duh, we were created to sing. 
We were created to dance, to be in prayer, to be connected in this specific way to God, and not just to God, but to each other. There are studies, there are studies coming out about COVID-19 and effects on singing together with each other and how that created a connected bond with people through that time. Guys, it is, it is so wild. It's like we were created to sing, to dance. Blair read Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and praise in his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. It is, if, it is as if our creator God tells us exactly what we need. There's a story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 about a father and two sons. One son, the younger son, asks their father for his portion of the inheritance early, um, which, which in this day and age, you just did not do this. Okay, even asking for this sort of thing was just preposterous. And so, which was often, this type of inheritance was often land and, and animals. But the father obliges, liquidates everything or at all, his portion, and gives it over to his son. At which point the son takes his inheritance, right? He takes this bag of cash. He goes and lives in the city and squanders it all. Partying, gambling, prostitutes, loses all of it. And even worse, when the hard times hit, he had no one. Scriptures say he had no one. After all of those like rounds on him, nobody gave him anything. The son finds himself tending to pigs, which for a Hebrew would have been the lowest of lows because pigs were seen as unclean. He was so low and, and destitute that even the pig slop looked appetizing to him. And then it's like he wakes up and he remembers, he remembers that even the lowest servant at his father's house had leftovers. And so he builds up this plan, right? He builds up this plan in his head. He's going to go home. He's going to return to his father. And I can just imagine, like, the whole way home, he's just, like, working it out in his head. He's like, God, or not God. He's like, Father, I, I know I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Like, please, I'm just, I made a mistake. I shouldn't even be called your son. Just let me be one of your servants. I'll work hard. Just let me be one of your servants. I, I just, I'm so hungry and I'm so destitute and, and, and I don't even deserve this. And as he's walking home, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. He's having that conversation in his head, thinking the whole way, man, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And he's stressing about it. And like, here's the deal, you know he had to be in absolute, just an absolute desperation because returning home, Tim Keller had a really awesome, just, uh, he, he expounded on this in a really cool way that I think shed light on it really interestingly, but, but he comes to the point where like, even returning home for this son would have meant stoning 
and death because of the disgrace he caused his family, but not only his family, but the community. You see, these communities are so closely knit. So he's literally walking home in absolute desperation, knowing there is a chance that he will be stoned to death because of that disgrace. And it just makes me wonder, how many times, how many times on his way home as he's thinking, God, Father, that just keeps happening to me because this is, I think, something that we, we can connect with so deeply. But as he's on his way home, how many times did, did he turn around? It makes me think about that. Out of fear and shame and anxiety, my father's not going to listen to me. He's not going to listen to me. He probably hates me. I can't go home. This part gets me every time. But while he, was still a long, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. You know what this tells me is that this father, perhaps every single day, was looking for his son. Whether it was every morning or maybe it was during his time in prayer looking for his son, watching for him. And you know this man was wealthy. For him to even run, he would have had to pick up robes and bare his legs, which was a very, you just did not do that back then. He would have had, that would have brought shame, even more shame to him. And he probably went and hugged him and surrounded him because he knew as soon as he got to the front gates that that kid, his son, was gonna be stoned. And he said, not, not my son. It's this really beautiful picture. And you, can, you could even see it. The son like, is already saying his prepared like, message. He's like, Father, I've sinned against you. And the father's just like, no. servants, get, get, get the calf. Get a robe. Put a ring on his finger. I'm glad you're back, son. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Now his brother, the older brother, was, was working out in the fields, and he he's, must be walking past the house because we're told, we're told that as he's nearing the house, he heard music and dancing as he's nearing the house. And he asks, he asks one of the servants, what is going on in there? What is happening? Why is there music? Why is there dancing? And the response is, your brother has come home. Your brother's come home. I love this. This is a, the, the older son approaches the father and is upset about this situation. And I love the father's response. We had to celebrate, son, and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And how did this brother know something was up? He heard music. He heard dancing. He heard singing. He heard instruments. Symbols. The lyre thing that, they, that you read in the Psalms all the time. And you're like, what is that? It's like a guitar. heard the sound of music. Friends, this is why we worship. Music and singing and song 
is what salvation sounds like. Why do we sing every single Sunday? Because we believe every single Sunday when we gather together, we believe that salvation is here and it is happening. We believe redemption is happening. We believe that what was once dead is living again. We believe that there is new life here and it is happening, that healing is coming, that addictions are being broken, that marriages are being restored. What was once dead is now breathing new life where shame and guilt were is met with grace and mercy. What was once lost has now been found. Amazing grace, how sweet, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So yeah, every Sunday we gather and we sing because that is the sound of salvation. That is the sound of salvation. God's people together praising and worshiping and singing his name because that is our response That is our response to the grace, to the mercy, to the love, to the forgiveness. Out of this reflected onto us, we respond out of worship. We respond in worship because of that amazing thing that we've experienced. And we reflect that onto him back out into the world. Worship. We sing and we praise. That is our response. How we live through the Spirit, because of the sacrifice of the Son, worship is our response. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. That is the sound, oh, sing, because God is marvelous. That is the sound of salvation. So sing, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. With the lyre and with the sound of melody, with trumpets and with the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Amen? Amen. Worship is our response. Praise. It is our response. I was having a coffee with a friend of mine who serves on a, on a worship team. And uh, he, he mentioned uh, this Friday at, at one of our Bible study breakfasts, he, he's, like, he's like, hey, uh, you know, some, we, we get in this green room that we have, and before the service, we're in there praying, and there are just some times when we just get excited, we get amped up, we're causing a ruckus back there, and he's like, man, sometimes I get so nervous that they can hear us. And I'm sitting here, like, doing some research and having some, having some words to put to this, and I'm like, dude, literally, the word for praise is hilal. Hilal. That's the word for praise. One of the words for praise in the Hebrew is hilal. And this word is is where practically where we get the word hallelujah from it literally hallelujah literally means praise the lord and it's a transliteration meaning they just took the phrase itself and said hey you guys are going to say this but more than that we want you to sing this we want you to sing hallelujah because it truly is such a beautiful word such a beautiful phrase when we sing it 
But halal, halal gets translated to boast. So not just, like it gets translated to praise, but if you look at the, at the meaning of the word itself, it is to boast, to shine, to make a show, to be clamorously foolish, to rave, to literally act a fool. The second closest comparison in the scriptures we get to this is drunkenness. When the Spirit lit, lit up the people at Pentecost, they said, surely, surely they must be what? Drunk. Surely they must be drunk. You know who was never accused of being drunk? The Pharisees. You know who was? Jesus. There ain't no high like the most high, y'all. Yeah, that was cringy on the inside, okay. Even I'm cringing. All right, man, okay, um, here we go. Worship team, you can come on up. <laughs> you guys can come on up, worship team. Jesus for sure knew the benefits of music and singing and dancing. And my guess is that he was literally the first to sing and dance. The first to call for music at a party. He would probably see a child responding to the dancing and just go dance with them, right? Because it's often children who are the first to sing and dance. Foolishly at that, I might add. They don't know when it's appropriate. <laughs> when it's not, but they do it anyway. Most of our kiddos sing before they talk and dance before they walk. And I believe it's because we were created to do so. Ophelia, she does a fantastic job of reminding me of this. <laughs> it could be like the most lame song ever and she's back there. She'll have like a bite to eat that was really good. She can't even use full sentences, but she's back there like, baby, beluga, beluga, singing. <laughs> it's such a cool thing. Even if you consider yourself like a member of like the chosen frozen, okay? <laughs> even if you think, I don't really connect to worship, I don't really connect with it. That's not really how I connect with God. Can I remind you that the scriptures read that the Lord rejoices over you, that he sings over you, over you, over who you are. He sings because of you, and you're made in his image. Friend, whether you can't or, whether you can or can't sing, I'm just saying you should. That's all. And God said make a joyful noise. Not necessarily a good one. Okay. I don't know where this is landing for you this morning. Um, but I hope it gives us, I hope it gives us a picture, a more rich point of view as we come here and gather on Sundays. And as we sing and as we praise. You know, I, 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 it was interesting. We were at that game last night and I'm just surrounded by people who are just screaming and yelling, go Irish, hands up, cheering, like, Yeah! Get them. These people are lit up. They're fired up. And they're talking about football. We are talking about the creator of the universe. We are singing to the creator of the universe, praising God for our salvation. You are our firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. So I don't know. 
And like I said, this is something, I'm not, I'm not asking you guys to get up here and start like cutting a rug, okay? That's not the point of this message. The point of this message is to realize that singing, God made you to sing. God made you to dance, to be joyful, to praise his name in all circumstances. There's a time to dance, right? There's a time to mourn. There are circumstances in our life that play into this. But man, it is crazy to see how God made us and how we're beginning to learn more and more about how we're created and how we're made and the impact that singing and music and dancing has on us and our health and our connection to God. So we're going to move into a time of, of worship. I've asked uh, the band to, to play a, a special song this morning, and then, and then we're just, we're just going to sing. We're just going to sing. And uh, it's going to be a good time. So I just invite you. I invite you to participate in, in this uh, together, however you see fit. Amen.